and I want you to take what you can and use it if you can and leave the rest behind if it's not helpful for you. So we're going to talk about parenting this morning and these practical principles around parenting are going to be centered around one idea and this idea is that as a Christian, you are raising an alien. As a Christian, you're raising an alien child. We just talked about it with our kids. As a Christian, you're raising an alien child. That's the idea, the central idea that we're going to be kind of leaping out from. And we're going to look at a few different passages this morning. Um, I want to ask a question. Who here has seen E.T.? Some of you guys may not even know what E.T. is. Uh, It's a classic movie that was directed by Steven Spielberg. It's about an alien, right? It's about this weird-looking alien with a huge head, like very caricature, stereotypical image of an alien. Long, skinny limbs, brown. This alien lands on Earth. He He befriends a small family, right? Elliot, Gertie, and Michael. I watched the movie for the first time when I was in primary school. I watched it again uh, in my 20s, and I is one of the movies that has made me cry <laughs> both times. And if you think about E.T., and I hope this isn't a spoiler for anyone because you've had 40 years to watch it, <laughs> um, but E.T. is about an alien, right, who comes to Earth, and during his time on Earth, he actually wins over this young family, He wins them over with his innocence, with his love for them, with his love for life. And what the movie essentially communicates is that even though E.T. is an alien, he's actually a better version of humanity. That's kind of the the message of the movie. And to this day, E.T. is an incredibly powerful and endearing story. What makes it such a powerful story Think about it. Someone comes down to earth, is revealed as a better version of humanity. He suffers at the hands of these wicked men, these scientists who capture him, try to experiment, experiment on him. He even dies, comes back to life, and he ascends. He goes back home. It's a powerful story. That's a story that can be told again and again and again. Because like all good stories, it's the one true story. It's the gospel. I don't know if you ever thought about E.T. in that way. It's the gospel story. Our passage today comes from 1 Peter 2, 11-12. It's a chapter before the passage that we looked at over the last couple of weeks about husbands and wives. And I'm going to read from uh, the NIV uh, because... It specifically uses this term. This is what it says, First Peter 2, 11 to 12, and it'll be up on the screen behind me. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So what Peter is saying here is this. If you are a Christian, this is the reality for you. You're actually an alien. This is not your home. So live accordingly. Live as an alien. Live as a stranger in this world. 
Don't live like everyone else. That's the reality for Christians. It's the reality, of course, also for our kids. And if you're here today, I want to think that it's because you actually want your child, as a parent, to, to know God, to love God, and maybe one day to live for God with everything. You know, you're not just here to tick off a box, but you're here because you genuinely, you genuinely want your child to know God, to love God, and live for God. But here's what we need to come to terms with. Those who know God and love God and live for God, they don't blend in. They look different. They're aliens, as Peter says. Which means the goal of the Christian parent is to prepare your child to live in a world that's not their home. But to be honest, um, in my experience of being a child at one point and having parents, in my experience of speaking to other parents and seeing how other people parent, it often doesn't feel like that's the case. And I'm talking about Christian parents. If anything, a lot of decision-making about our kids, it's motivated by helping them fit in and blend in. And I think there's a good reason for that. There's probably a bad memory, if you're a parent and even for our parents, that we had in our childhood of not fitting in. And we want our children to be free from that. We don't want our kids to go through that tension, that feeling of not fitting in. And we want to separate them from that feeling in as many ways as possible, as often as possible. And not only for our kids, even as parents now, you don't want to feel that either. As a parent, you don't want other parents to look at you and say, why are you parenting your kids in that way? Why don't you just let them do that? Why, why, why aren't you expressing your love for them in this way? Why, you know, why this or why that? And so even as parents, you feel that tension of, no, I, I want to fit in. I, I, I don't want to be an alien. I don't want to be a stranger in this world. But the goal of the Christian parent is to prepare a child to live in a world that's not their home. That's the crux. The goal of the Christian parent is to raise your children to be in the world but not of the world. The goal of the Christian parent is to raise your kids to understand what evil is and to reject evil, but also to be present in the midst of evil. And so this morning I want to talk about four areas for you to consider as a parent in raising a child who is an alien. Four areas, and the first one is this, activities. Ah. An alien child is going to spend his or her time differently than the child of the unbeliever. That's what I mean by activities. Um, I want to read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. It says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It's interesting because the author of Deuteronomy here, he assumes that there will actually be times when we sit in our house together. There'll be times where you walk by the way together, where you lie down together, and when you rise up together. And in other words, this passage assumes a natural rhythm in your home. That's all about bringing the family together versus spreading the family out. 
When I was a child, I did figure skating. Yes, figure skating. I took lessons for about two years. I think my parents were hoping that it would turn into something. It didn't. <laughs> I was not in the Olympics. It didn't happen. I also did swimming, athletics, debating, drama, tennis, golf, 10-pin bowling, soccer, <laughs> just to name a few. And I think from my parents' perspective, and maybe this is a perspective that you have, you see a child and you want them to try everything, right? You want to give them every opportunity that maybe you didn't have as a kid. And I think parents can buy into the idea that if your child isn't somehow out there trying every single thing, they won't turn into the fully formed person that they're supposed to be. And yet what the author of Deuteronomy assumes here is that the home, the home, the family, that is the place in which a child is formed into the person who they ought to be. That's the place as they talk, sit, walk, and lie down with the parents. They turn into something good. There are so many activities and, you know, Everybody has some kind of identity that revolves around the activity that they're doing. So chances are, if you, know, you, you ask anyone today, hey, what did you get up to on the weekend? Someone, you know, maybe uh, Keith will say, hey, I, I, I played some golf. And Keith is a golfer, right? Maybe someone said, I, I did some dancing. You know, okay, so that person enjoys dancing. They're a dancer. That applies to our kids too. If you ask them, hey, what, you know, what did you get up to? What, what have you been doing throughout your week? Activities really go a long way in forming identity. And sometimes what can happen, especially as kids grow older, is that home stops becoming the primary place of their belonging. And instead, it's the soccer team where they can share their deepest struggles. Or maybe it's the music tutor who feels more like a parent to them than their actual parents have. And you want home to be that place. You want home to be where they're drawn to. Not all the time, obviously. You don't want them to be become 24-7 stay-at-home people. I'm sure you guys need your space too. But you're going to want them to see the home as a place where they can come and be themselves. You're going to want the home to be the place where you're spending a lot of time together. And so I think a good question to ask yourself is this, when it comes to activities. Parents, is your activity level sorry, something that is helping your family or hurting your family? Is your activity level something that is genuinely bringing your family together or spreading them apart. So that's the first area, activities. Second area is speech. And simply, an alien child will not sound like other children. Right? An alien child will not sound like other children. And it's a tough one because so much of what a child learns in their speech is picked up at school, around friends, on the playground. I got the shock of my life as a kid when in year, uh, year two, um, this new kid came to class and he told me to shut up. <laughs> and I went, <gasps> and I immediately went to my teacher and I said, 
uh, Mrs. Island, that boy said the S word to me. And then I went home and I told my parents, this boy at school, he said the S word to me today. And they said, oh, you should, you should never, ever say that word. That's a bad word. That's wrong. And I think that's right and good. But if you just take it to that point without going further, it just becomes law. It becomes a burden. What if you could diffuse the stigma of swearing by telling your child, hey, there's no bad word that you can bring home to me that I won't already know. You can bring it home. You can bring it home and we can even say it out loud a few times and we'll laugh about it. And then we'll talk about what it means. We'll talk about why people use it that way and why it's wrong. And then you can point your child towards a better way, towards speech that's loving, self-controlled, peaceful, patient, kind, fruit of the Spirit. And at the same time, you can teach them words of reconciliation, how to say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. You can teach them words of prayer. Father, help me in this moment to speak kindly. Spending time with a friend recently who's two-year-old, six months ago, couldn't say amen. And it was such a privilege to see them six months later and to see that his two-year-old, or two-and-a-half-year-old now, could say amen. And he had added, dear God, to his vocabulary at the dinner table. It was a joy to see how normal these words were for this family and this child. You know, normalizing God, normalizing speaking to God teaches your child how to pray. It teaches your child that they can speak to God, that it's not just a religious activity, you know, that even if they don't have the right words to say back to someone who's being un unkind, they can direct their words heavenward. So that was the second area, speech. Thirdly, I want to talk about waiting, okay, waiting. And an alien child will wait differently to other children. And you guys probably know what's going to come. We live in a time where waiting is so hard. We live in a time of instant gratification. I think technology's made that worse many times over in how it's wiring our brains, in how it's wiring our kids' brains. And I'm honestly worried about what effect that will have on the future generation right, as they become adults. So what do we do? I'm not saying that you never ever give your child the nice thing. You know how they might come up to you and be like, hey, I just really want this, or I really want to do this. I really want maybe some screen time. I'm not saying you shoot it down and say, you know, that's dumb. <laughs> you don't need that. Instead, you teach your child delayed gratification. If they want something, Sometimes it's going to be a hard no, right? If you're walking through a shop and your child points to a knife in the store and says, I want that, mommy, you say no. No, you, you, you can't have that. That's not appropriate. But sometimes it's an opportunity to say, not yet. Wait. Why am I saying this? Well, the Bible talks a lot about waiting as a Christian. Philippians 3.20 
It's talking about our identity as aliens, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. As Christians, we're all about waiting. We're all about waiting for something better and the coming of our Lord. As Christians, we wait for the day, on that day where our waiting will turn into wonder and joy and eternal life as we stand face to face with Jesus. Waiting is an essential skill of being a Christian. And so if you do not raise your children to wait well, if you don't teach them to know how to wait well, we stand very little chance of being able to help them become disciples. Disciples who know how to wait for Jesus. Disciples who know how to be patient with others. Patient with themselves in suffering or in their sin. We have to look for ways to teach our children delayed gratification because that's what it means to be a disciple. To wait well. And finally, so we've talked about activities, speech, and waiting. Finally, uh, I want to talk to you about instruction. An alien child will be instructed in what is right and wrong. So the Bible teaches that the goal of parenting is not to have some measure of control over your kids, to kind of steer them in the right direction. It's not even to get them on your side maybe to have some affection and build relationship. The, the primary goal of parenting is instruction. The primary goal of parenting, your role, is to instruct your kids to become wise and righteous. Proverbs 23, 22-24 says this, Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Christian parents must instruct their kids, and that involves a lot more than just giving them some knowledge or facts about life and letting them interpret that for themselves. It means teaching them what God says about life and helping, that, helping them interpret that. What God says about the things that they should pursue in life. What God says about the things that they should avoid in life. What God says about what they ought to live for. You know, chances are just, if you're living in Sydney, <laughs> Australia, 2023, you have heard a lot of conventional wisdom say, just let the child determine their own way. Don't be too pushy. Don't pressure them too much especially when it comes to certain religious tradition or faith expression, don't heap that upon them. Just give them the facts, give them all the options, and, and then let them choose for themselves. That is not the biblical model. Leaving a child to determine things for, them, for themselves in their own way is not the biblical model. That's foolish. 
Christian parents are to teach their kids a particular faith in one God, the one true God, in the only Savior who can save, and what loving the Savior looks like by living a life of repentance and faith. Ultimately, your job as a Christian parent is to instruct your children about God, who He is, how to love Him with everything. Instruction involves teaching your kids how to live according to God's way and why. The why is very important. If you just teach your kids about who God is and how to live for Him without the why, it becomes religion. If you tell them, for instance, that, hey, it's wrong of you to speak in that way, that just becomes overbearing. But if you tell them, it's wrong of you to speak in that way because it's not self-controlled. And I want you to grow in self-control. I want you to grow in patience, in character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's different. If you, if you just tell them, hey, it's wrong of you to, to, to treat your friend in that way and just stop doing that, that becomes religion until you say, it's wrong of you to treat your friend in that way. How much better would it be to take the harder road and to love them, to be patient with them, to, to go the extra mile to show them that you're there for them? If you, tell the, if, if you tell your kids, um, you're not allowed to hang out with this group of friends, but you're allowed to hang out with this group of friends. If you control that, and maybe some, uh, some of us have experienced that, like in our own childhood, that can become very damaging, that can become very debilitating. But if you say to them, hey, I actually don't want you to, to invest into these relationships and I want to train you to recognize good character. I don't want you to be involved in drama and disorder. I don't want that in our house. And I don't want that for you in your relationships. That's totally different. That is an environment of mutual love and delight. And at the same time, when they do good, you catch them and you encourage them for it. You build them up. And instructing your children will also mean that you discipline them. Discipline is a form of instruction. But it has to occur in that same environment of mutual love and delight. Um, discipline that comes from love and not out of anger is the kind of discipline that the Bible teaches. It's really easy to discipline and correct out of anger. I'm sure, parents, you guys have all been there before. Right? You see your kid doing something and it just, it's just too much. It just has flicked a switch in you. And out of anger, you tell them to stop. Maybe you give them a time out. It's so easy to discipline and correct out of anger. It's so hard to discipline and correct out of love because it's inconvenient. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes self-control. Think about what that word discipline really means. It contains the word disciple. 
You're discipling your children through that discipline. Discipline without love, hasty discipline, impatient discipline, discipline of anger leads to shame. It leads to slavery. It's no different than having a really terrible boss at work who just tells you what to do. But discipline with love can incorporate all of the this is wrong and this is right. And yet it leads to sonship. A lot of us have really bad experiences with being disciplined as kids, uh, occasions where discipline was misused. And I think what that's caused is today, uh, some of us find discipline just deeply troubling and hard to do, especially when it comes to physical discipline. I'm not just talking about verbal discipline. Um, whether, it's for, whether it's verbal discipline or physical discipline, which the Bible talks about um, through the rod, that's how it describes it. Discipline that's inconvenient. Discipline uh, that is born out of love. Discipline that is honestly costs you something and is hard to do. That leads to discipleship. It's good for our children. Grows them to be wise and righteous in Christ. And here's what I want to end with. This is kind of the punchline of this whole talk. There's a bottom line to all of this, parents. The only reliable way that you're going to be able to raise an alien child in this world is to be an alien parent. You yourself must know God, love God, and live for God. More important than right relationship with your child, and maybe you're thinking about that a lot, <laughs> more important than that is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. You will be the best parent that you can be. You'll have the best relationship with your child that you can possibly have when you know that God is your best father, when your relationship with God is at its best. You'll be the best parent that you can be when the way that you organize your life's activities and priorities reflect an alienness. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I was um, had some family over this past week, and um, it's been really encouraging just spending some time with um, with my uncle, um, and just to hear that he, you know, wakes up every morning at five to just spend some time with God, not out of some religious duty, but because he he needs it, because it's life giving. And he reads the Bible. It doesn't make sense. But that's a way that we see, you know, an alien parent, their activities should look different. The way that they speak should look different. You're not just speaking like all of your colleagues at work. And even if your kids speak to you in a certain way, you don't speak back in the same way. 
the way that you delay gratification in your own life and the way that you repent and return to the Lord when you need discipline from Him. That's everything. Here's what I want to say. This is really important. Long before you ever get your child to read a Bible, your child will read you. You can parent your child in the best disciplines and habits and programs and knowledge. You can tell them how important Christianity is, how important it is to come to church. But if you yourself do not show these things in your own life, it won't achieve anything. Actually, it'll probably do damage. It'll cause them to see hypocrisy. Any parent can point a child towards conformity and towards comfort. And I think that's something that a lot of parents do think of, right? Like I said, you want your child to fit in. You don't want them to stand out like a sore thumb. You want them to be comfortable. You don't want them to, to suffer. Any parent can point a child to those things, but you must point them to Christ. Christ himself was the most alien and strange of all. Remember, he came down to earth. He was revealed as a better version of humanity. He suffered at the hands of wicked men. He died, he came back to life, and he went back home. He ascended, he went back home. Any parent can point their children to conformity and comfort. You must point your children to Christ. You know, sometimes you can be concerned with the fear of what other people think, maybe what other parents think. But Christian, you are an alien. And if you want to raise your kids in Christ, then you must prepare them to live as aliens too. You must prepare them to live with the life-giving fear of the Lord instead of the life-draining and sapping fear of man. Life is too short to spend fearing the wrong things. The only reliable way to raise an alien child is to be an alien parent. So I guess I just want to end with this. Are you an alien parent? Is your life different to every other parent, maybe at your kids' schools or in your friendship groups, who are not Christian, who do not know God, who don't belong to Him? Or is it exactly the same? Only re only reliable way to raise an alien child is to be an alien parent. That is the best way that you will parent your children. I know it's quite general and I'm like avoiding being too specific. To guard your relationship with God, to know God, to love God, to live for God, yourself, that is the best way along with you know, doing the hard work of actually bringing them up, of raising up your kids. It's gonna, that's what's going to result in the, the best relationship with your kids. 
So I would challenge you this morning to to hopefully be sobered to, to, to think deeply about how you're raising your kids. Let's pray. Father, uh, I just thank you for First Peter 2, um, 11 to 12. It's true, uh, often um, as Christians, we feel uncomfortable, we feel different, and sometimes we're tempted to think that it's too hard. Sometimes it is really hard. And yet, Lord, uh, you remind us that that's totally, it totally makes sense because we are different. We're aliens and we're strangers in a foreign land and this is not our home. I asked that you would give us that conviction and that clarity. Uh, make our identity based on our citizenship that's in heaven and not the one that's here. And I ask that that would just go hand in hand with the way that we parent our kids. Um, I especially ask that if we have been living, uh, you know, kind of a double life, where we say we want these things for our kids and we've even told our kids the importance of these things and instituted certain structures and things that communicate that, I pray for just a spirit of humility to, to really repent and to return to you and to live for you. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.